0: What's up, everybody? Esoteric Eddie here. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace.
1: I was born into like a pretty notorious doomsday sex cult called the Children of God. I tried to k- myself when I was thirteen, but then I found out why we're here and what suffering is for.
0: What up, everybody? Esoteric Eddie here. This is a conversation with mami onami on instagram and it is very powerful she is a practitioner of ritual magic specializing in the enneagram check out her content check out all the links down below comment like subscribe let me know what you think and of course because it was an instagram live some of the audio and video is choppy but i'm sure you'll still find some value love you all You know what it is. Esoteric ADTV. Namaste. Peace. All right. We figured it out. Yeah. Okay.
1: I always have... So many glitches on my podcast whenever I have a host, like literally every, it'll all, it'll be totally fine when it's just me. And anytime I try and do even like the slightest collaboration (laughs) with someone else, it goes so like the the amount of glitches I hit, I'm like, is this a sign that I'm supposed to be in it by myself? But if you've never had like these glitches before on your end, I guarantee you they're coming with me.
0: (laughs) Oh no, I, I definitely have, dude, definitely have, you're not alone. Um, but yeah, thank you. Welcome, Miss Mommy Onami. Thank Mami. you so, <laughs> so much
1: having
0: me. Real quick to everybody listening, thank you to everybody checking this out now or whoever's checking this out, you know, post later on on YouTube or whatever. Um, we're going to get deep into ritual magic and so much more. And real quick, I just want to uh, explain to people how it is I came across you and, and why we're doing this. So I think I saw one of your reels, one of your reels on Instagram first. And you were explaining the Enneagram and stuff like that. And I was just fascinated and I checked out your other content and I was like, wow, she's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of information and just a really cool personality too. So I was fascinated with all of that and definitely knew that we had to collab. Um, but before we get deep, and I, I do have some notes here and stuff like that, but before we get deep, just go ahead and tell the people, you know, who you are and what it, what it is that you do
1: cool i so i do i do a lot of things but since you brought up the enneagram i'll show you guys i have it tattooed right here on my palm and the first time i saw it i was like oh my god this is the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen Um, When it comes to ritual magic, because that's what Eddie says we're talking about today, you know, there's so many different paths of ritual magic. There's Solomonic magic, there's Wicca, there's all of these Egyptian magic, there's all these different things that you can do. And the Enneagram in particular is a way of looking at them all through the same lens and being like, no matter what the lineage is, they're all following these 10 steps. So let's just like focus on the 10 steps. Um, And that is behind everything that I do. That's behind every workshop that I create. But, yeah, you know, the bottom line is that I'm an esoteric teacher. I'm a mom of two. And I've had a super crazy life, the type of life where people are like, uh, like, why have you not told yourself yet? <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, believe me, I tried. But then I found out why we're here and what suffering is for and why things had to go down the way that they went down, not just in my life, but in other people's lives. And so... With a perspective like that, I've been able to create a, a career for myself because when you know exactly, like in every situation, why things are happening the way that they're happening and if it can or cannot be changed, um, that, that gives you a pretty good advantage and such a confusing and, and tumultuous ride that we all share. So that's what I do.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And real quick, before we get started, Instagram only lets me do about an hour. And so if we go over that hour and need to do part two is that going to be fine with you like
1: yeah 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 that's fine with me
0: okay because we can just end this and then jump right back in for part two so everybody okay. be aware if that does have to happen
1: okay you so, kind of cool. turn pumpkin at 90 minutes like my words i start sounding drunk but it's just because i run out of words for the day so <laughs> so if so i disappear or like go blank at 90 minutes that's my that's my caveat to all y'all
0: No worries, no worries. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm sure we can't get into everything today, but let's let's try to cover some awesome stuff. All right, so I want to get started with just your general story. I know there's a lot of other things I want to get into, but let's just start with who you are as a person. And so before you found occultism or esotericism, um, what kind of person were you and what led you to finding occultism and esotericism?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. So I was born into like a pretty notorious doomsday sex cult called the children of God. I was born into that. So that was the the only world that I knew and I never got down with it. I was like, this is fucking weird. I was asking, you know, quantum questions when I was really young. I had a lot of, I had, they, they say in magic, thorns on the outside, roses on the inside. So when there are thorns in the external world, you really bloom internally. And so I grew up in a, in a thicket of thorns, but I, ha- I was having really rich spiritual experiences that didn't allow me to, to fully adopt the mindset of, of where it was that I was growing up. That's not to say that I was immune to conditioning. I would find out, you know, 25 years later, how strong the conditioning can actually be. Um, But I didn't get down with it. And and you weren't allowed to leave until you were 18. And so I tried to kill myself for the first second time when I was 13. I got excommunicated. And that's when I moved out of home. And the next, I, like, hated God. I was like, ugh, like, no. Because I was like, look what devotion to God did. My parents joined a a pedophile doomsday cult where they're literally trafficking children and having orgies and believe that. I had lived through like three doomsdays by the time that I was 13. So I was like, you know, like how love of God obviously doesn't get you anywhere useful. And tons of drugs, tons of alcohol, eating disorders were like, those were the addictions that got me through. I didn't process any of it. I just left and I I had to survive. I was 13 years old. And so I was very anti-God. Like I wasn't agnostic. I wasn't atheist. I I just absolutely refused to think about it. Unconsciously, I felt like, you know, maybe God hated me because I ran away from a a cult that I was told were going to be the only people to survive like the end time. But that was unconscious. I had no idea that was going on. So I, I wouldn't look at the stars. I wouldn't look at the ocean. I wouldn't like anything that would cause my mind to go and like, huh, like I wonder what's out there. Territory I would just completely ignore it. I'm not seem to be working. You know the, the way that all of us feel like our coping mechanism seems to be working. But that was how I lived my life from age 13 to age 27. Now my life was just never, you know, it, it, every day was like a, a repeat of the day before miserable. But I had a best friend who I like really, really loved who got me through like every This was like my my homie. We lived together best friends and we ended up dating and I was like Yes, like my life is going to take a turn for the better. Like this is this is it I'm like changing my luck and I had a dream that he died I woke up in the middle of the night had a dream that he died that I came home um, And found him dead and there was something about this dream. Like I said, like I, I wouldn't think about anything quantum whatsoever at all. And I had a dream that he died. He had gotten addicted to heroin at the end of his life, and um, and 24. This dream just wouldn't leave me alone. I told his mom, I told his brother, I told him. It wouldn't leave me alone. And 24 hours later, I came home from work and I found him dead, exactly as I had dreamed it. And I had never had an like that before ever. I came home from work. He was dead exactly the way that I dreamed it. And it was my first time ever seeing a dead body. And I was resuscitating, you know, I called the, the EMS and they're like, you know, you have to try and resuscitate him. But the ambulance couldn't find my house. And so for 22 minutes, I was having my first experience with death. I was out of body the entire time watching myself pump his chest. For twenty-two minutes, um, trying—you know—I had the was on the call with EMS the whole time, and during this time, it's like all of the back-end spirit, back-ended spirituality that was coming for me, like came through at once. Like I understood what life was, what death was, why this had to happen. I understood that the body was hardware and that the spirit was software. But most importantly of everything, I was like. I don't know what I want because this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I can see that this is happening for my own good. And it was just, I, I just completely like woke up in that moment, came back to earth with a lot to deal with, um, you know, but that was my awakening. And after that, I just couldn't, I just couldn't go back. I was like, okay, I have some questions that I need to answer. How the fuck did I see the future? How is this person talking to me after they're dead? What does this mean? I don't know what I want. I, I just. So I couldn't go back to work. I maxed out my credit cards, went on a one-way ticket to Thailand, and devoted my life to finding out, like, what is all this for? And so that's. Mm-hmm.
0: What I'm Dang! What year was that? What year around was
1: that? Oh, that was September 9th, twenty fifteen, baby. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life. I'll remember mm. that day. That was the day I went full time in spirituality. I tell people I'm like, because a psychic had told me like two years. Yeah, I'd gotten into yoga and stuff a little bit, but it wasn't really, you know, I I had an eating disorder for a really long time, so I, I started doing yoga to like white knuckle my way into not throwing up my food anymore. Um, but I had gone to see a psychic, and he was like, yeah, you know, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. Like you have a destiny healing people, so you can either dump your boyfriend and do this the easy way or, or, you know, you can do this the hard way. And I was like, dump boyfriend you fucking quack. Like, <laughs> no, nope, I don't have to do that. And, uh, and then, so I got, I got the overnight job, you know, like if you, if you know you're supposed to do something and you don't want to do it because you know, you're stubborn or, or you can't tell that you're, that you're not happy anymore. And you don't, you think it's the best it's going to get for you. Like I, like I did then, you know, you'll get, you came here to do something, every single person yeah. to earth to do something, so if you like surrender to that and you do it, no matter how, like I I would be mortified back then if my punk friends knew that I was into like occultism, um, now I think it's cool, but back then it would be like my biggest nightmare to be like spiritual, you know, it's like a, like a punk, yeah. um, but if you don't do what you came here to do, like you're not doing here, what you came here to do and your whole life is going to be hard. So if you get a nudge, like don't get an overnight job like I did.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. not,
1: really not that fun.
0: <laughs> I've, I've worked some graveyard chips. It starts to, starts to mess with your circadian rhythm, your mind and everything for sure. But I like what you just said about living a purpose. And I want to get to that later because that's actually something I'm exploring right now a lot, actually. But before we get deeper, actually, just for fun, uh, you grew grew up where I'm from originally. So I'm from North County, San Diego. And uh, so you
1: grew up here originally, right? Well, I lived there for a little bit. So when I left the cult, I moved to South Africa. I moved to South Africa. And then I moved back to the States when I was around 15. And all of my older brothers... When because they all left together, I have ten brothers and sisters, but all of my older brothers left together, and they like took up a house in Vista off of Vista, nine thirty born off of Vista way, and they would have huge, huge, huge parties there. And my brothers were so great to me when I left when I left the cult. They would take me because I was working in Encinitas. I worked at Swami's, and then I worked at Miracles in Cardiff. I always had really cool like restaurant job. Um, but they would pick me up from Encinitas every single weekend and let me go out and party with them. And my older brother like sold a lot of mushrooms at the time. And so for, you know, about six or seven months straight, I took mushrooms like every single weekend. And like I said, was having these really like. Big experiences, like life-changing experiences, and it was interesting because I went, I I went back there recently, um, to uh, to see some old friends of mine at Booze Bros, as the the brewery that they have.
0: And, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I went back. I was hanging out with some of my old my old friends from there, and and people were telling me left and right, like hey, like I had this experience with you on mushrooms where you said something to me that changed my life. And I these were not things that I knew about whatsoever. I had like three or four people tell me the last time that I was in San Diego that I was doing basically like the same type of healing work I'm doing now. But back then, you know, to be fair, I was on mushrooms then, and I'm not now. Um, kind of feel like I am though, because I worked the graveyard shift last night. <laughs> um, but but it was interesting to me. It was it was like a real full circle moment for me, where I was like, "Wow, I'm like maybe this really is what I've always, you know, been meant to be doing." But I didn't live there for very long. I lived in California and San Diego from when I was like 15, and then I was 17. I moved to New York when I was 17. Um, I like San Diego, but I don't drive, and I'm like I I at the time all of the girls it was like surfer girls or like UGG boots and frilly skirts. Who were a lot richer than me. And I just didn't feel, the guys that I liked always were going for, like, healthy surfer girls, which is a complete opposite of me. Like, I'm like a dark, you know, like a dark pit. Um, and so I just, I was like, I'm, I can't compete with the surfer girls, man. I'm going to go somewhere. I went to New York City when I was 17. I saw a guy on a leash, and I was like, I'm going to be fine here.
0: <laughs> Your people try all the my- kids
1: versions of yourself trying to figure out what worked. But in California, I felt like I didn't know who I was. I had just left a cult and I felt like I kind of had to fit into like one or two categories. And I just knew that I was going to need to try a lot of different versions of myself before I, I found out who I was. So New York really gave me the space to do that.
0: Yeah. So, so your parents are the ones who got you into the cult, who brought you into the cult?
1: yeah 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 i guess you could say i was grandfathered in. um my parents joined in the late early 70s late 60s and i'm the ninth out of 11 children that was born into the cult so that was just all i that was just all i knew i didn't know that there was a life outside of it we lived in like compounds and stuff
0: so are your parents still around what's your relationship with them now
1: i have a really really good relationship with my mom and, I, and I'm actually no contact with my dad. But something interesting, I used to feel really bad about that for a while because I didn't understand, like, the esoteric meaning of the Bible. So they always talk about, like, honor thy father and thy mother. And, and I felt that in order to be spiritual that you had to have, like, a working relationship with both parents. And I was really struggling with it because it seemed to make my dad really uncomfortable when I was around him, you know, because I want to talk about real stuff. And, and, you know, some for my parents spent basically their entire lives in a cult and then the cult dissolved around them. And now they're trying to integrate back into society you know and they something that they thought was going to be like their 401k and also headed in the right direction like as they spend more time outside of it and the dust settles it's like oh my god i was in a pedophile doomsday cult like this is not good people don't want to know about this and so my mom and i spent a really long time being willing to hear each other's side of the story you know like she had to be willing to hear like i i got really hurt as a result of these choices that you made and I had to be able to listen and not just blame her for making the choices that she did, you know, to, to get a, a real 360 view of, of what her life was and not just how her choices had impacted me. And as a result of, like, both of us caring enough to have these conversations... We have a relationship that's like so much, it was totally broken. I didn't speak to my mom for seven years. I tried to kill myself and when my, to, in order to be excommunicated, and my mom was like, I wish you had died. I'm embarrassed of you, and, and I had no contact with her for seven years after I left and say um, the, the odd cocaine fueled phone call, situation. but now our relationship is super, super good. But my dad doesn't want to talk about the things from the past. And I don't, I'm learning the more that I'm on this path that like the most loving thing that you can do is, is not try to change somebody. So if somebody, if I need my dad to change in order to have a relationship with me, like I need you to be okay to talk about these things. I need you to, you know, be able to go deep with me or call me on my birthday or any of these things. Like that's not love. And so if I can shift something in myself that says like, you don't need to change anything about who you are or how you are, me to love you and if that means that that this is what our relationship is like a non-hostile no contact where when i think about you i send you love but that's just what the relationship is now i'm at at peace with it and then after making that peace with it i learned um where did i learn this the esteemed gospel of peace which is like jesus's direct teachings he when he talks about honoring the the mother and the father he means the heavenly father and the earthly mother, which is the heavenly father is basically like the, the world, the face, God, like God, the unknown and the unknowable, and the earth is where you live your life. And Jesus's, mm-hmm. like, esteemed teachings, which is just what he was teaching to his disciples, were really all about balancing that relationship, having the ascended grounded paradox, being able to. Be in contact with the higher, while also staying grounded and helping, and and being somebody that's like in earth but not of earth. And so when I heard that, I was like, "Okay, cool, (laughs) Failing, you know, for something.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I see that a lot in your work. That's that's actually one of the things that I really like about you and your work is like you have all this occult knowledge, this esoteric knowledge but you're still very just like human, like just here down to earth and not afraid to like just show that side of yourself, you know, and I'm going to get more into that too. And that's kind of where I'm at in my life too. It's like, I have all this esoteric and spiritual knowledge and experience, but I identify more as like an existentialist. Like I'm in between heaven and hell here right now in this avatar, in this realm, living it up, living it up, you know? Um, But let's, let's take it back a little bit. So, so you leave the cult after attempting to commit suicide and and so did you co- did you attempt to commit uh you know uh, off yourself for that reason just so that you could leave
1: it was like a 50 50 it was like a fifty fifty thing i knew that there was a 50 percent chance that it would work and i would die but i was like if i die this is worth it to me because i just can't I just, we had a schedule every single day and every single day, wake up same time, eat same time do, And, and, you know, for the last three years of my life, my life had been the same on the schedule. And I knew that for the next three years going forward, that my life would be the same way. And actually all of the great changes of my life has, have come from a moment like this of being like, I can tell you where I'll be three years from now. And I don't like that. So I'm going to you know, really drastically change something up so it was a toss-up for me but i was like if i'm dead i won't know the difference but if i live i'll be excommunicated so i actually took a lot of care in case i lived to make sure that not only did i attempt suicide which is a pretty big infraction but I also like I just tried to break as many rules as I could in one day so like I went to a movie theater to watch we weren't allowed to watch movies, we weren't allowed to listen to music, we weren't allowed to talk to people that weren't in the cult and so I went to the park and just like grabbed some random people, you know as an American in Mexico City I was like you guys want to come to a movie with me and what I was hoping was going to happen was that people that didn't know who I was would call the house, tell them that I had you know unconscious in a movie theater and they would be like in a movie theater with non-members taking you know <laughs> killing know. you're out and it and it actually it it did work in that way but it was a pretty scary experience because they could i took 300 aspirin like the only thing i had in the house um but they couldn't take me to the hospital because it would look like i had been kidnapped my mom wasn't in the country at the time that's like with my moment uh so they just had to like feed me milk for like three days to 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 try and get me to throw up or like encapsulate the the poison but i like lost my hearing i was like in a lot of pain it was very like Uh, a very uncomfortable situation but that's how you know i i was very hard hard on myself for a long time maybe because i felt like i should have died or that i should have given it a more valiant attempt like when things got hard that was the first of you know four times that i tried to kill myself i could not find i'm sorry it was the second i tried when i was a kid but it was you know kid version but now looking back on it, I actually just went back to Mexico City for the first time in 20 years. I was there in, in September and it was actually it being there again for the first time and realizing that it's, it's sad that, that a 13-year-old, that those were the options that I felt like I had as a 13-year-old was like live or die. But I knew I, I knew I, I couldn't stay until I was 18. All of my friends were getting pregnant when they were like 14, 15. I was like, I, I got to do something different. They say that, um, like, when, when chicks hatch out of an egg, it's not because they're like, oh, you know, this is my time to break free. It's because they get suffocated in the eggshell. And so they don't know, like, they, they can no longer breathe. There's not enough oxygen for them. And so the only, they don't know what's on the outside of the eggshell, but they only have one option. They have a hard beak and they have this wall, basically. And so that's, that's where I found myself. And I'm, I'm happy, you know, I was I was always happy to be able to get out and I was proud of myself for leaving before I was eighteen. But looking back on it, I, I ran into a thirteen year old American girl that was there with her parents and, and seeing her such a baby. You know, I would, that's when I grew up. That's when I left my home. Seeing this little thirteen year old girl, I'm like, fucking baby. I was a baby. So it was it was actually going back to Mexico City was like kind of sad for me because I was like, Oh <laughs>
0: Wow, yeah, that's pretty. That's epic. Uh, so, so, you get out of the cult. You uh, go through these experiences with, with your ex, and then you go to Thailand. And so, at what point did you start to really cultivate the person that you are today, Miss Mommy Onami?
1: Everyone just calls me Mommy. Um, <laughs> everyone just calls me Mommy. But my kids actually call me Mommy Onami, which is funny. I think they just like the way that it sounds. Um, yeah. So, my first. I had a whole spirit. There's three levels of spirituality and what makes the, the way that I talk and the, the taste of my work different. It's second, second level, not third. So the first level is the exoteric and everybody has to start there. All teachers in the exoteric get there by sharing their story. And as you grow as a teacher, you'll, you'll share your story over and over again, of course, but that's like your one teaching and, and that's what it's meant to be. And in sharing your teaching, you learn, like, what was right for you and what was wrong for you, but you're not at the level yet to, to, to know that there really is no good and bad, period. You know, there, it's one thing to, to know it, but very, if you actually understood that there is no good and bad, then you would, you would be talking at a higher level. There would be nothing that could disturb you because you're just like, ultimately, I don't care what happens because it's great. <laughs> Um, So it's very different to, to know it versus to understand it. Like I think Kanye West is a really good example of somebody that, that knows it but doesn't understand it because he goes yeah. higher creative and then he's back into his holy war. So the exoteric is that first level of duality, good, bad, right, wrong. And the metaphor they usually use for this is like the outside of the temple. So anybody can go to a temple and be like, wow, a sick temple but they can't go in and, and meditate and be like a monk. They could see the monks meditating and be like, I can do something like that, you know, but, but it's yeah. not, they're not initiated. And so the second level of spiritual teachings, which is what I teach, is the mesoteric. And in the mesoteric, the teachings are dismissed and with poetry. And so the mesoteric, the symbol of that would be to, is the, the inner temple or the or the inner courtyard where the monks live and they practice and there's this whole world going on. And you can't just like bring, you know, order a robe off of Amazon and go into the temple and be like, okay, right, I'm here now. Like you have to be it's and and people have a really hard time with this. It's just because we live in the age of information and and it takes a lot of humility to go to a higher level because you have to be a total beginner. That's what, when Jesus says like you have to be like little children. You have to get, it feels so good to be like at the top of your game as a spiritual teacher, but then to have to go back down to like baby level and be taught is is hard. Um, so you always have to be initiated to go from level one to level two. And initiations really, it's not as complicated as people think it is. Basically, you just need to find a living teacher that's at a higher level that can explain to you how these ancient teachings how myth and parable applies to you in your life right now because you're at the level of needing story and they're at the level of of objective myth and parable so they need to help you digest it because it's just that's just how it is there's really no way around that so that's the mesoteric realm and then the holy of holies in the temple where only the high priest can go that's called the esoteric and the esoteric we use that a lot now and that's totally fine, because it's a broader word for, like, occultism, so, like, esoteric studies, and I tell people I'm an esoteric teacher, but actually I'm a mesoteric teacher. Um, but esoteric teachings are disseminated with symbol, and they are wordless teachings. So somebody that's at a level of an esoteric teacher, those, like, ethic swamis that you hear about that, like don't say anything to you. They just looking at their, I've got goosebumps because I know a lot of these teachers, but unfortunately I've never met a living one. But just looking at their face like does something to you or when they die, they leave behind a symbol and just looking at the symbol can like awaken you. So if we were to use the Bible, which is like, you know, the Bible has exoteric teachings, which is all of the chapters, people saying, this is my story of experiencing God. And then there's the the Messoteric teachings in it, which are all of the parables that Jesus was sharing. But people that aren't initiated don't know what the parables mean. So they go, Jesus has this story about sowing seeds on rocks. Like, isn't Jesus cool? And they are like, what he means by that is that yeah. if believing a false teaching, you can't uproot it. You have to let it grow alongside the real teachings until they can discern it from themselves. Otherwise, you're going to create schizophrenia in them by uprooting something too fast. Like the parables, unpack and unpack and unpack. So Jesus would say things like, "Ye that have ears to hear, let them hear," because he's like, "Advanced teaching alert to my 12 followers. Like, I know only 12 of you guys are going to get this, but you know, I'm just going to drop it here, anyways." And then at the most advanced level, the the symbol of Jesus is the cross, and so so many people have big experiences just from comp contemplating this symbol at all so with all of the religions and the base every single religion has a three-level structure has deeper teachings that you can go to So, like in christianity it's like christianity gnosticism and then god judaism kabbalah and then what's the, i i don't forget what their name for yeah, god god is in, in judaism hinduism tantra brahma so they're every religious Every religion has.
0: Well, the iron uh, mm-hmm. the the soft as it's known in Kabbalah.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so that's what, so yeah. I was initiated into these teachings in 2019. It was really, really, really expensive. And then once, I've, once I learned them, I, I could be initiated by a teacher, but then I had to really go through it on my own, leaving behind duality. And entering oneness this was not a test that i passed on the first go whatsoever i got heavily fucking distracted during pandemic i got all of my teachers got fucking psyoped i got psyoped i was like i know that there is no good and evil but sh- my teachers say that these these are the fucking bad guys so i got very like hostile very mad very these are, and I, I, my, all, like I said, that Christian conditioning, I didn't think it was there. Cause I left the cold and be like, fuck these people, you know, like, I, and I thought that because I never believed it, that it hadn't done anything to me, but I'm 34 or 35 year old or however old I was during the pandemic, 33, I think. And when I didn't know what was going on, I was like, "Wait, maybe these are end times." So, <laughs> yeah.
0: I could
1: have been a teacher. I probably could have been at this level a little bit sooner, but I got, I, I like descended an octave during pandemic, and then had to slowly work my way back up. So, I'm, I'm extra sympathetic to the people that that are having a hard time really graduating because that's what i do for people now is i initiate them from level one until level two but i have a lot of compassion for people that are finding it hard to make that transition because they know they know on some level that God is love and all things are a facet of, of that love, but it's so hard to understand like why such horrible things happen on earth or to let go of that control or, or even let go of, of the idea of like the devil and stuff. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I have extra care for my people that have a hard time during that graduation because I fucked up. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I I definitely agree. You said a lot that I want to touch on. And and, uh, before we are going to get into the Enneagram um, after this, but I just want to touch on what you said right now. So I really like your message about nothing is bad. I've seen you speak about that on different reels. And that is something that I also uh, believe in. And I don't, I don't push it on most people because obviously everybody out here, most people out here have extreme opinions and beliefs and but me personally, I, I walk a middle path, a neutral path, a tranquil path. And just like you, I understand that, you know, in the end, there's there's a love, there's a creative force that supersedes all of this. And it, and whether you are worshiping the devil or you are worshiping God through its many various forms, you are ultimately worshiping the one force that exists. Mm-hmm. It's the same force, just fractured. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the secret. It's funny. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, she was talking about celebrities worshiping Satan and stuff like that. And I kind of jokingly said to her, well, you know, the big secret about, about Satanists and celebrities and everything is that they're actually worshiping God. That's the big secret. You know, <laughs> but, uh, it was kind of a little joke. And, and of course, hard. there's a lot more there. Sorry, what was that?
1: It's hard for, it's hard for people to digest that. It's It's a hard... It's a hard thing, but everybody incarnated on Earth to, to incarnate in this, this dualistic mindset. But you can have the joy of awakening. You know? You'll never know how good it feels to wake up if you can't compare it to a life that you spent asleep, but that conditioning, especially when world conditions make it feel like things aren't in your control. When it's when the things in the seen world are out of control, people will go to the unseen world and cling to instead of moving in towards the unknown, being like, I don't know what's going on in the seen world. And I don't know what's going on in the unseen world either but i know that it's all going to be okay what usually happens and this is how a lot of cults start as well is when things are out of control in the seen world people will say well i know what's going on let's cling to the rock of ages baby like let's, this is what's going on in the unseen world and it's always like a like a, a descent because it feels better to cling to something old that you know than to like free fall into the unknown, but that's really, schizophrenia, a good symbol of it is, is like clinging to a cliff with your hands and with your feet on another cliff behind you, so you're hanging in between the both of them. And this is what it feels like to, to, to know, but not understand that like duality is not the truth of existence. But when you can't like let go of it, to know it is one thing, but to be able to actually let go of it is so scary because you're like, if I, it's everything about that level of consciousness, everything about that dualistic thinking is telling you, if you let go, the devil's going to grab you. And the truth is like, if you let go, there is no devil. Can you handle that? But (laughs) I just want to acknowledge that it's really like especially for people that grew up with any level of religious conditioning. And everybody has some of it, but for for people that grew up with like religious family, Going to church and stuff like that—it's extra hard to dislodge from something like that. And and um, to use yeah as an example again, like, it's really clear how much this holy war of his like sabotages his life. You know, it's like, God is love, but I hate that fucking guy. And it's like, no, <laughs> like, let go, let go
0: so hard. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, a lot of my work, most of my work is deconstructing, uh, religion and, and politics and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so, so I got two questions for you as we transition into the Enneagram. So who, was one of your first teachers that, that really started to put all of this in perspective for you and how did that lead to your fascination and work with the Enneagram?
1: Oh yeah, easy, easy question. And I wish this for for everyone in their in their life. So I teach, I, I I'd say seventy five percent of what I teach is a lineage called the Fourth Way, which is comes from a teacher named Gurdjieff and I had heard of him um I had like kind of gotten into Osho and Osho was talking about Gurdjieff and stuff a lot but the only thing is is that every time I would try to read it and this is when you know you need to be initiated like I'll probably get somebody to initiate me into Kabbalah when I'm ready to do it because it's like when you when you try and get close to it it kind of pulls a little bit further away from you you know you want it but like it's like it's all written in code, the same way that parables of Jesus are in code to people that, that aren't initiated. So I finally bit the bullet, and I found myself a fourth-way teacher. And I was—I've always invested in, in my spiritual practice. Like, when, when my fiancé died, I was in debt five grand, but I still took $60 and went and paid my psychic to be like, help me figure out what's going on here. And he was actually a fourth-way teacher, but I— I wasn't ready for it yet. So it wasn't made available to I me. Mean, you have to be ready. When the teacher is ready, the student appears and vice versa. But when I, in 2019, I got initiated by a teacher named Viet, Viet Simkin, who is a teacher in New York. And at the time, it was just really, really expensive for me. It was 15 grand. I know she, that was 2019. I know she charges a lot more for it now for six sessions. And I was a brand new, you know, I was a re- bread winner hardly profitable in my business. My well in New Mexico went dry and I had a six month old baby. So that that's 2019. That was four years after I had devoted my entire life to teaching. I had built a whole business. I had taught a lot of workshops and stuff at that point. But I was really ready for more and so I paid I paid her 15 grand to learn from her from six sessions. And then once she opened the door for me I could start reading the books and i could start learning by myself and that's really what i've just devoted myself to um the main issue that i had with it though was i was like this is so expensive like it's so expensive and the world needs this now and especially with the fourth way like people are very um very secretive about it it comes with a certain price point and and that's all good you know that's like the classic rite of passage is that you don't really get access to higher teachings until you're the type of person that can handle financially being able to really focus on them full-time. You need to be able to to focus on it full-time to really get the benefits and not have to, this isn't to say that other that. People don't have jobs. My teachers all had jobs. Gurdjieff had a job. Rudy had a job. Um, but it, the the work needs to be passive enough that you can really focus on that. So I set out to make it less expensive, and I started teaching. I started teaching the Fourth Way in 2019, and it's really just been a process. Uh, it's been a process, and I just want to you know for everybody out there who knows that they're ready to teach but you don't you're like kind of scared of your teacher like everybody that you've ever been taught by had to outgrow their teacher and teachers are always going to say like you're not ready it'll take 10 years this, you know but there's plenty of disciples out there there's plenty of disciples but none of them have changed your life who's changed your life or teachers and every single teacher had to at some point go to their teacher and say. I don't care how you feel about it. I'm going to go teach. And it can be really, really hard to do that. But that's like the unspoken truth of second level teachings. is like to teach something is to master it. And if you don't ever master these teachings, you'll stay at the foot of a teacher forever. And it's a great way to live. But if you feel like you're called to teach... And you feel like you're outgrowing your teacher, just know that that's a sacred rite of passage. Don't stay for humility, don't stay because you're afraid of what anyone else will think of you know when to call it. And as you cannot repay a teacher in 10,000 lifetimes, no matter how like abusive a teacher might've been to you, you're always grateful for whoever it was who showed you how to do this, steal everything that you can from them and go and teach it in your own words and in your own way. Cause that's how every teacher that is a teacher got to be doing what they're doing. So I just want to call that out for anybody that that might be struggling. Knowing when to leave a teacher is one of the hardest parts about being a student and do it lovingly. Even if you'll probably like hate them for a couple of years, just keep your fucking mouth shut about it because in two years you'll be like, okay, I understand why that had to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that for sure. Um, man, there's so much to get into and I, I wish I could fit everything in here, but as we can see, Instagram is playing game, So going to err on the side of grace right now with the time that we have um okay so you went all through all that with your teacher now how did you discover the enneagram let's get into that so how did you discover that and and how and why did you start to incorporate that into your life and your work
1: i'm gonna have goosebumps i feel so lucky that this teaching chose me like I feel so lucky that this teaching chose me. So the Enneagram was popularized by Gurdjieff and and if you were to read about it nowadays, you would really only be able to find out about it through um, derivatives of the fourth way. The unfortunate thing is that the the offshoot of it, the Enneagram of personality, like overtook the whole whole thing and to to say that the whole enneagram is a personality test would be like calling a pentagram like a metal symbol you know and it's like no like it doesn't mean metal like it means like protection like it's so many things symbols are the highest level of teaching and they unpack and unpack and unpack so my first teacher that first teacher that i told you two years before my fiance died telling me you can do this the easy way or the hard way He gave me his card and his card had an enneagram on it and it would take me five years to even know what this symbol was called because how do you even look something like that up you know like what is this nine pointed thing i but I I was just enchanted by its beauty. So when years later I came across the fourth way and they, they started talking about the Enneagram and in the fourth way, you only get things bit by bit. They're never like, okay, we're going to do a deep dive on the Enneagram. Like it's not like that in the fourth way you have to earn like every single piece of it. And a little bit here from this teacher, a little bit here from that teacher. And the thing about the fourth way is that like everybody picks up something different from it so like for example the teacher that i worked with she was into the she was into the enneagram but not like uh, not obsessed she was into other you know she was into the more psychological aspect of things a lot of the people that teach fourth way. And a lot of the Gurdjieff groups are really focused on the movements, which is kind of the same principles as Kundalini yoga, or even sex magic at the highest level. When you act out a law of the universe, you get that law lifted from you. And then when you live under less laws, you have more freedom and you can do things that look like miracles consistently. But a lot of the groups really focus on the movements and hardly anyone focused on the Enneagram. So I just, doubled and tripled down on it because when I learned that the Enneagram, when you first hear about it, you're like, oh, that doesn't really seem that cool. But basically there's there's no such thing as like manifesting or like getting lucky with stuff. Every magical ritual, every event that you want to do, whether you're, you know, raising a bird from the dead, writing a book, cleaning a house, buying a house, going to your next wealth level, like one a lot of people come to me with is like embodying their higher self. Every single event has 10 steps that need to be completed for it to go from an idea to realized so every manifestation every project every event from the microcosm to the macrocosm all the way through space on other planets like every single creation takes 10 steps to go from idea to realized or manifested and when you know what these 10 steps are you can accomplish anything like literally anything and what i personally love it for so much is when there's big complicated ideas, for example, sex magic, where so many people are like, oh, try this, try this. And there's, and, and there's a lot of hostility between the schools on like what is and what isn't sex magic. And they're very like, one school will say, if you come, that's it, like you're done. And the other school is like, come as much as you want. But they're, they're each threatening you with like chaos <laughs> if you do it. And so, and I'll explain to this person why ten um but to be able to take a complicated concept and say okay it's just 10 steps and to look at all these different rituals and see like you know some because if you don't know the steps for a ritual you're probably doing a lot of stuff that isn't necessary like I I use this this analogy but like if you thought that a touchdown was scored because the touchdown dance is like a prayer to the touchdown gods then anytime you didn't score a touchdown you'd be like oh I just got to focus on the dance perfectly it doesn't actually have anything to do with the dance you've just been told that that's a part of the ritual and ritual magic especially Solomonic magic and sex magic it's so much pageantry and so much stuff and and all of these things serve a purpose but are they essential to creation the Enneagram says this is what's essential to creation so the reason why to answer this person's question the reason why it's ten steps first of all why it's ten steps and not nine because ennea means nine But this, you count the number zero and you count the number nine or the note Do. You count it at the beginning, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Si, and then again at the end, Do. So that's why it's 10 steps. Now, where these 10 steps come from, three of them are the law of three, which says that for anything to be created, it needs an active, passive, and neutralizing force. So that's the first three that you get and that represents the triangle in the enneagram or like what tesla talked about with the 369 or energy frequency vibration there's a lot of sperm egg womb like the, you can find this in any and all creations from the microcosm to the macrocosm it exists all the way up to the top the reason why i want to specify it exists all the way up to the top is because on different planets and in different worlds they have different laws some of them are the same as here on earth some of them are not this is one that goes all the way to the top the other seven that you get is what's called as is what's called the law of octaves and the law of octaves says that no nothing ever goes from a to b in a straight line there's no straight lines in nature and what this means like you might hear this but i'm just gonna say a prayer that like this seed lands on fertile soil and starts to grow in you because just understanding this could change your whole experience of life life doesn't travel a straight line and it is law that at two points in every creation creation in higher schools are measured in octaves two times in every single creation you're going to fall off track you're going to fall off track you know how i said like i fell off track during pandemic that's not because I did something wrong when you are off track it's not because you did something wrong you're not being punished like yes you're out of flow and everything feels hard and things are a struggle but it's natural law that this is how creation goes so when things are hard god is not punishing you it's not a sign that you failed it's a sign that you're off octave or off key and all you need to do is work really hard to find the key again so that you can go forward. And what's more is that when you're in these pit stops, like my pit stop of being really distracted in the pandemic, created in me a lot of compassion for people that are going through that same thing. And that compassion is something that I really need to be the kind of teacher that I'm here to be. And that was a stop on my journey, a stop that had to happen, even though all of us if we had our way we'd say can we just go from a to b without the bad stuff that's just not how it works it's law now on an enneagram you will know exactly when you're going to go off key and if you know when you're going to go off key for any creation from the top to the bottom you can prepare for it that doesn't mean you'll it'll be a smooth ride but you'll be like I get, why. This is, I get why this is going on right now. And if you're in my school where we use Enneagrams for everything, like you might even have a laugh. One of my students just got hit by a truck, at 0.3. And to be able to have a laugh about being hit by a truck, you know, he's fine. It's totally reshaping his career. But to be able to have a laugh about it, I'd be like, point three right <laughs> every time some chaos every single time chaos occurs here when you know what it is you can you can have a laugh about it and when you can have a laugh about things not going your way that's when you're thinking with the mind of god and that's why they call the enneagram the face of god it's like god's
0: i love it fascinating and I'm the same way like I love dark humor any humor, you know, I I love comedy. It's been a huge part of my life all throughout and um, Somebody said that like if you can make light of a situation that shows super high intelligence Mm. You know, I I agree with that like it's it goes back to that neutrality like nothing's happening to us It's all happening for us, you know, it's all just one big cosmic joke anyway I like to say, you know, when we die and go wherever we go, we're just going to hear God laughing like, it's pretty fucked up, huh? Pretty funny, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But let me um, the only thing that a God doesn't have, like something that has everything, if something has everything, what does it not have? The only thing it doesn't have is limitations. And so when you love limitations, we really go into this in my sex magic workshop because you're, you're working with deities. Um, but when you love a limitation, when a limitation comes up, when you're like, "Ooh, I thought I was going to do it like this. And then this huge roadblock came in the way. And I love that. That's when you know you're thinking like a God. If you love a limitation, you're not thinking like a human because humans go, No, I, my life is nothing but limitations. But a God goes, This is why I made life. So you're thinking, if you're thinking with the mind of God, like there is no problem, like ever. And that's how, that's like a specific way where you can measure, like, Am I getting somewhere in my spiritual practice? How am I dealing with limitations? being cool with them, being tolerant of them, level one, you're getting there, you're learning, but having a fucking kink for them and being like, (laughs) 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 like that God tier thinking, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No limitations, only challenges, you know? Yeah.
1: I love this because if there's a lot of limitations, the path ahead is really easy. Like they say in business, that it's so much easier to make 10 times your income than it is to make two times your income. Cause there's so many ways to double your income. Like if I said write a list of 50 ways to double your income, you could do that. But if I said, what's, how could you 10 X your income? There would only be one way. There's so many limitations. I couldn't do it like this. I couldn't do it like this. I couldn't do it like this. Limitations create style. Like if you, if you go, you ever find that, that you're, you make the best food when you don't have any ingredients in the fridge or when it's laundry you wear like the dopest outfits, it's because we have so many limitations that something really new and unique can come through you, which is what we want in creativity and in business. So when you have a lot of limitations, like for example, how would I make 10 times the income? the style becomes really apparent because there's only one way to go. And if there's just Mm. one way to go, you know, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's like, yeah, just keep going straight uphill. But it's so easy to just go that way versus like, where do I go? What do I do? So I love, and limitations always come up at point four of the Enneagram. The Enneagram also teaches you how to travel in time um, or to use both functions of time, which is something that I'm like super adamant about with teaching. I'm like, fourth dimension, you guys, fuck the fifth dimension, fourth dimension. Like that's where the real power is at. Um, but limitations always come up at, at point four of the Enneagram and it's my favorite part of every workshop because like people come to me with the craziest stuff and I'm like, this is great. Like (laughs) so easy to spot the solution here. Like when it's not happening to you.
0: Yeah. I love that. You know, like I have a lot of people in my life who are going through struggles and I try to help them. I have, I have my own uh, way of mapping out their lives and and, uh, consulting them on how they should go about their obstacles and challenges. And I love it. I love when I have challenges in my life because those challenges have made me who I am today. And I've gone from the abyss, from the bottom to the proverbial top, you know, and uh, like you're saying, you can't, you can't enjoy the wakefulness without the asleep, you know, and it's the same. You can't enjoy the abundance without the lack, but it's always like, it's a dance, you know, it's, it's a, what's the word? Like a to- toroidal field.
1: Yeah. It's right?
0: a yeah. Yeah. Correct. I love that. I love that teaching, man. Cause I got a lot of people in my life right now who are struggling and, and I try to get them to understand, like, it's okay. Like, and it's funny too, because a lot of the, a lot of the struggles that we have are, are mostly mental. Cause a lot of people are like, oh man, I don't have this money. I don't have this job. I don't have all these things, but it's like, you're still alive though you know, and you're still here and all these things you're wishing you had are just illusions anyway.
1: So it's so hard though. I got major mental problems. Like I got major mental problems. I got to tell you, I get, let me tell you this mental problem that I'm because maybe I, I, I need to like hear the answer to it. Maybe you guys can help me out in the comments. Um, it's more wow. just like leaving duality behind, but I'm like shit scared of the paranormal, like ghosts, ghosts and gins and all like, I'm fucking shit scared. And I just bought a house and it, it came to us divinely, you know, cause I, I, this, the last house, I knew exactly what I wanted and I got it, but it wasn't the right fit for me and the the guy that I wanted to be with before I met my husband was exactly what I thought I wanted but he was the wrong fit for me and so with my husband I said surprise me and I got like best husband he's great and I'm crazy so nobody hit on him um but the with the house I was like okay surprise me and the house that we got was built in 1810. And I'm, oh, shit, I don't know this. and then up this street, there's a cemetery. And so I've been trying to like brace myself by listening to the other world podcast. Cause I know that I have, like I've been told by everybody, like, you know, you have all of these, you know, powers, clairaudience, clairvoyance and stuff. I took a mediumship course, but I, when I had like my first, um, Kundalini awakening, which happened in between 2015 and 2019, it was a really shit time. TBH, uh, in LA, pfft, not a good time. But during that time I I was talking to all types of entities, people that had died. Well, I wasn't, you know, I was out there. And then after that, I had such a bad experience um, that I turned my paranormal settings like all the way down to zero. I was like, I don't want to fucking deal with this anymore. Like I, I can't even figure out like the 3D. Like I'm here. Cause with these fucking ghosts and stuff, they're like so high priority. I'm like, I don't even fucking know you. I don't know anybody that you know either. You know, <laughs> like why do I gotta like do your shit? Like I'm fucking busy, you know, like this isn't cool. useful. Um but I feel like I can't experience the unseen world if I have my paranormal settings turned all the way off. So I was trying to listen to like the other world podcast and be like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna like face my fears. except so I've done exorcisms and stuff. I know this stuff is all mental, but hearing ghost stories like literally scares me so much to the point that I'm scared of moving into my house because I'm afraid there's gonna be a ghost in it. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I grew up with like a lot of paranormal activity and stuff like that. You know, I'm Mexican. So we are just filled with ghost stories and stuff like that. Um, but I think, I think you already have the answer. Cause actually one thing that you said that I liked in one of your, one of your contents, uh, one of your pieces of content was that black magic isn't really real in a sense. That's actually something that I had on my notes is I saw that a lot of people come to you for black magic protection. And your message to most of them was like, "Well, it, it's all has to do with confidence, right? It's all confidence. If you are lacking confidence, you are afraid that somebody's doing black magic on you. It's already working. Yeah, it's already, it's already penetrating you and, and your in your energy. And for me, it's the same with ghosts. I grew up with paranormal activity, and one of as a as a child, one of my techniques to combat the ghosts and demons, whatever that were around me was again to make light of it to literally make fun of them i would make fun of them i say get your fucking ugly ass out of here you fucking bitch or whatever you know like just it's i would make so fun of God, them. The yeah yeah i would make fun of the ghost i remember i remember when me and my sister would watch scary movies and then she would like shy away close her eyes i I'd, I'd make her look at it i'd be like no look at it and let's make fun of it like call her ugly say she's ugly or whatever you know and so it comes back to that confidence again like i give you two more examples and then we'll move on. But um, I had a friend, right, who she's like super spiritual as well. And she was concerned about me because I do all of this work. And she's like, man, you open up yourself to too much energy. I'm going to send you some stones, some whatever, whatever, some protection stuff. I was like, I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that because I walk with the stones and the cross inside me. Right. I don't need a cross. I don't need a stone because I have the cross and the stone and the stone inside me across within me and so when i walk around with that confidence in me all those spirits that's what they're actually afraid of mm. is that confidence yeah you
1: know I mean? yeah i did first of all a lot more people come to me asking me to do black magic than than protect them from black magic people really when they're <laughs> like oh you do the a no i don't fuck with that anymore <laughs> um and in my book in my book on sex magic uh which is free once a year you guys have to get in line for that one but um if you send me an email i'll get you a copy but in my, i talk about why i don't do black magic anymore because it didn't really go that good but when the day that i met my husband was the first day that i did an exorcism and i had assisted on like a classic ifa exorcism so ifa is you know same as like santerisma lukumi like all the all the yoruba Traditions and I worked with the Ifa priestess who was a friend of mine, and she asked me if I could come and assist on it. And, um, you know, this is in 2017, so I was not, you know, established in the second level of teachings. It scared the shit out of me. And so I was like, I'm going to go and do it. This is what I really need to, to hear. Um, I was like, I'm going to go and do it. And, you know, very elaborate ritual, you know, chicken sacrifice. It took maybe like two hours, a lot of little different moving pieces going on. But then afterwards, I talked to the guy and, you know, it was like, how do you feel? I was translating in Spanish for the uh, for the priestess who's Cuban. And... And he was like, I don't feel any better. He had been to seven exorcists and he was like, I don't feel any better. And, you know, what was really funny was that he worked on the show ghost hunters and he had like a very, he was like a bald guy with like a fat neck. And when he looked at himself in the back, you know, if he had a picture taken of him from behind, he thought he saw a demon's face, but he just had like a fat neck, but he thought he had a demon face, like, you know, coming out of his back, you know, big problem. And, and, uh, And so, and I knew like when I was, I was like, this is a, this a mental problem. I knew in the moment, you know, like exactly what this is, why it was going this way. And the day, so I was like, I told him, I said, if you're still having this problem, you can come and see me and we'll, we'll handle this. But the day that I met him, I was like, all I need to do to be ready for this exorcism. I know I can handle it. I don't need to burn fucking stage or anything like that. All I need to do is just meditate beforehand and that was like my whole plan he was going to come over to my house at 10 i went swimming early that morning and met my husband that morning and i was so busy fucking hitting on him that i ended up getting home with just enough time right before i had not enough time to meditate and that was such a good lesson for me and the whole exorcism took like 2 minutes it was like what's stronger god or the devil and he's like god then what's the problem like what could possibly be the problem that was it. And
0: wow.
1: that is, and I have goosebumps because even if there is, like this other world podcast, it'd be scaring me, you know, like it's fucking like it's scary to me. But yeah. that all, all paranormal activity, all ghosts, all gents, all demons, all anything at any level is only coming from one source. All of it is an expression of the divine. The divine has three faces. Sometimes it's creating, like Brahma. Sometimes it's destroying like Shiva, and sometimes it's neutralizing like sweet baby Vishnu. I can handle all the faces of God. There's not a side of God that I'm going to be like, Ugh, you must be the devil. I can't handle this. Like, I can handle this. And you know what? I'm am t- going to make you this commitment right now. I'm not even going to stage my house when I move in.
0: What? I don't- <laughs> my house. Ah, man! All the spiritual, all the spiritual people coming after you on that one no the, i'm not fucking okay, I'm be like what the heck
1: but no. you know what so many when i teach about black magic at all like i always get so much hate from i always get so much hate from people but i don't have like receptivity to that there's the, magic is super simple there's there's according to your faith be it unto you that's white magic part of the path there's according to your fear be it unto you black magic and that's the path and when, you know, when you're listening to scary stories, it can start to kind of rattle up that soil in your mind and say, hey, you know, we could plant a fear-based thought in there and it would grow the same way in fertile soil. You could plant a faith-based thought. Thought and that would grow as well. But then there's red magic which brings all of them together and that's surrender and it's like you guys can play just like in Twin Peaks, you know, you can play in the White Lodge, you can play in the Black Lodge, but everyone's got to meet up in the red room. Nothing gets done on earth that doesn't pass God's desk no magic is ever done on one path only white magic is not enough black magic is not enough you need all of them together black white and red because nothing is ever done on earth that isn't sanctioned by god god's cool with it all of it it's just that when you're stuck in duality you know when you get something you want you say this is god well it's very robotic when you get something you don't want you go like ah oh, that's the devil you know I can't believe the fucking devil again and it's such a shitty world to be in because it's like this is not a war like jesus versus the devil like that's you know that's that's mano a mano like jesus lost the last one rematch is coming you know but that's but god versus the devil like god created the fucking devil you know like there's no there's no game there's no game there so uh i'm very stoked that we had this conversation i can't wait to go downstairs and tell my husband i'm not even gonna stage the house because we were listening to Other world podcast the other night it was one about a gin and I, I experienced a gin when i was in sedona and after that i turned my paranormal settings all the way down but i was mm. like i'm fucking saging the house and he's like my husband loves the paranormal he's like cedar cedar you know like let the good ones stay in the back i said no sage everything has gotta go like they, but i'm gonna go i'm gonna tell him i'm not even gonna sage this fucking house bring it on baby
0: you are the sage you know?
1: actually that is my official <laughs> spiritual title that's okay, yeah. right. Yes. A sage is somebody a, so there's like three main titles that you get when you like are on the spiritual path devoted to it and are gonna initiate. So the first one is is a saint. And a saint is usually somebody that stays on, on one trajectory, for example, like Catholicism or something like that. But if somebody goes through a lot of internal and external suffering, so like I said, like thorns on the outside but the ability to also create thorns on the inside, to really put yourself through things and not just take the easy way out. Somebody that's had a higher gradation of suffering gets the title of saint. So they're, they're changed in their being, they're devoted to one path and they become a saint. Somebody who has not gone through a high external, external gradation of suffering but has awakened by all manner of objective means. So let's just say like a King Solomon character, not didn't have a difficult childhood, but was very, very passionate about learning. And so just studied every possible magic, every possible lineage was completely devoted to it. They get the title of learned or learned, which is the traditional pronunciation of it. Somebody who has, so those are the two, the learned and the saint. The sage is the combination of the both. So somebody that had a higher than average gradation of suffering and then awakened by all manner of objective means. So like the saint path, but they didn't stick to one lineage. They had all of the suffering and then they said, I'm going to study every lineage. I'm going to awaken like the Hindus. I'm going to awaken like the Buddhists. I'm going to awaken like the Christians. I'm going to awaken like all of them. When you have those two things you get the title of Sage. So I received that at my last graduation. And and so when you say I am the sage, like I'm definitely I'm gonna fucking claim that in my house. For fuck's sake. I'm so happy yeah. to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, girl. Yo, I will sage my house, man. Only thing that I do is I just cook up some buttermilk pancakes, let that smoke and aroma go around the house. And all the demons, all of the demons are chill. Uh- <laughs> I love that. I got to tell my husband things don't smoke when I cook them, but you know, yeah, I'm not too great at it, but I like it crispy, but yeah, there's so much we can get into and we might have to do a part two. Um, So in wrapping, uh, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'll open it up to you to say anything else you want to the people. And before we close it up, just thank you to everybody that's been rocking with us. And thank you to everybody who's watching and listening post of this live. And obviously thank you, mommy for being here with us. Uh, my final question to you, uh, going back to what you said in the beginning, you know, we all are here, and we agree to be here for our purpose. And that's something that I'm really diving into right now. Like, what, what is the purpose? Who gave us that purpose? So I want to ask you, you know, um, what is our individual purposes? What is our collective purposes? And who do you think gave us this purpose?
1: So I'm going to give you the exact answer as it applies to the macrocosm and all of humanity and then I'm going to bring it way granular and give you a one-word answer of how that would apply to the human. So in the fourth way lineage, which is many different lineages out there, but the fourth way is the one that I like the best, it doesn't mean it's the best. It's just one can only be so lucky in their life as to find their lineage. So the function of humanity, the purpose of humanity is to translate influences from the planet and to send it to the moon. Basically, our little slice of creation, everything is trying to climb the ladder to get closer to God. So Earth wants to be a sun one day. The moon wants to be an earth one day. Etc. etc. Everything wants to climb a ladder and return to its god state. So this is true of evolution, this is true of space, but everything is trying to climb somewhere. And so the function of humanity from this fourth wave perspective, and you'll see different, you know, sometimes you'll hear this in a myth story, for example, like Enki, the Sumerian fish god, and humanity is slaves and stuff like that. In the Mesoteric teachings, you know, depending on where you're getting it from, they'll tell. you the same story of like humanity you know, used to be like a slave ship until the gods basically took pity on us, gave us consciousness and was like, if you work really hard, you can get out of these slave-like conditions. You'll stop recurring into the same life cycle over and over again. And you'll be able to actually leave the like West world existence and and be able to do something new, which is, you know, really nice, especially if you're starting to get the hint in this lifetime that you've done this shit before, you know, and you're like a, like, ugh, oh, I'm kind of sick of these little coils that I find myself in. Um, but the function of humanity was to translate planetary influences and to send them. To the moon as like energetic forces. Now, the it's not just humanity, but it's part of something called organic life on Earth. And organic life on Earth has about a 3.5 million year lifespan until it resets. And we have about 600,000 more years until it's set to to reset again. So, if anyone's like panicking, you know, you got 600,000 years to continue wondering what the fuck is going on here. So that is fine. Um, but organic life on earth it's it's basically like a like a filter. So the purpose of humanity is to do that and that's one of the reasons like we have wars and things that make no sense is like little things happen out in the universe and create very big things for us here. Now, one day all of these energetic, you know, things the same way solar flares happen and we interpret that we're sending our own flares off to the moon and one day that will be an earth and one day earth will be the sun so that's the that's the macro side of it from the fourth way tradition One of the hardest things to accept about something like this is is that you are not currently awake and that you have to work really, really, really hard to wake up and then you have to work to stay awake. It's a lifestyle, you know, basically you can never break out of prison if you don't know you're in prison and every spiritual level. If you don't know how to humble yourself and go to the next one, will eventually become a prison. That's the only gatekeeping in spirituality is your own ego and being like, "I'm there." You know, like you have to know when you've read everything that is to be read of that level and know that there's a higher level, and really pray and ask for teachers to come and find you so that you can go to a higher level. To bring it granular. So, what does this mean for you? You know, if you're part of organic life on earth, and like, what's your purpose? Your purpose is to enjoy it. Having a human body and all of these limitations and all of these experiences, the devastating heartbreak of a breakup that you might not even really remember two or three years later, that heartbreak, or like the taste of a lychee, or sex, or the, Sweaters that you love, the feel of all of these the five senses are a unique experience that only humans have. If you don't know what you're here to do, that's okay. Like you'll find it. But what you're here to do is the things that you enjoy. Rumi says, let the beauty you love be what you do. So, like, what do you love? You don't have to go super big on this and be like, Well, what do I love and how is it gonna impact the world and how I'm gonna like try following your joy around for a little bit try following delight i did i'm remembering now that i did have an in that paranormal incident like six years ago with the archangel michael i was like oh he needs no introduction i was like you angels are real but he said he goes delight is in the heart of the almighty delight is in the heart of the almighty at the absolute root and core of God the absolute where all of these laws came down from where everything that we have we are in they say that that Brahma or God breathes in and out the universe you can calculate who you are versus how big God is because we are in one breath cycle of God this whole universe and all of existence we know like that's how big God is and at the root of God, like what's God's like get down, God's like big, like, oh yeah, I love this. Delight, for you to be delighted. And if you have no idea what you wanna do, take 40 days and every single morning, the first thing that you do, ask yourself like, what do I want to do today? And you'll be afraid to ask yourself this because you'll be like, if I say, what do I want to do today? I'm going to say, oh, I want to get on a one-way ticket and go to Bermuda and never come back. Like, no, that's not true. You're going to wake up in the morning. you say, I think I want like a nice cup of coffee and try and follow that and just see what happens. Just see what happens. If you can let go of the devil or the, what you want is bad and desire is bad and all of that other conditioning and just follow around what it is that you want just for 40 days and see where you end up and see what kind of ideas you have because what i love is learning new things and sharing them with people and that's what my whole job is learning new things and sharing them with people and if there's no if you never find another purpose for the rest of your life except to just do your best to enjoy the very small amount of time that you have here that'll be enough you'll impact the correct people and you'll die happy yeah. that's that
0: beautiful i love that and that's a very similar message that i that i also share in most of my work it's like just what's the purpose is to enjoy it you know like i just texted my friend this morning she's going through a really tough time and and so i just told her i was like you know buenos dias you know life is happening so let's just enjoy it let's be some silly mystic motherfuckers yeah yeah like we're here let's make it happen have fun you know
1: every single storm cloud will run out of rain eventually like in the Dao of ching they say not even nature can handle storms all the time and like think about when you're having a stormy day and i just want to honor if you've had a stormy week if you've had a stormy life i just want to honor that that's been really hard and that's been really sad for you but when it's weather you know when when we're when we're looking at shifts in the weather and your emotions are like weather When you're noticing that it's like a rainy day outside you're like i feel like eating like sad girl things i feel like putting my sweater on there's all of these unique things that you feel like doing that you wouldn't feel like doing if it was a sunny day and every single emotion is pleasurable in its own way there is a way to enjoy being profoundly sad if you don't push yourself to like try and be happy. There's a way to enjoy being profoundly happy, even if you're surrounded by people that don't like to see you happy. But everything will pass. Like I used to have this spiritual clause for myself, well like, God, I'll do your work, but if one of my kids die, like I'm out, I'm killing myself. There's no way that I could go on with my life if that happened to me. And I was doing a meditation with an older version of myself because that's like a big paranoia of mine, you know? Like, what if something happened to my kids? But my, my future self looked at me like very deeply in my eyes. And she just said to me, time heals all wounds. And it was something about the way that she said it, where I was like, I will literally survive anything. And I no longer have like a contract with God of like the, the list of things that I won't do is zero whatever it is, I'll be grateful for it. Whatever it is, I'll see the miracle in it. And that's what I'm here to do. And that's like at the deepest level, if in fourth way, they talk about like having a chief aim, like a chief purpose of life. The ultimate chief purpose is to see the miracle in what's going on and seeing the miracle in something like is enjoying it. I'll tell you this piece and then, and then we've, I'm sure we have to wrap up, but you know that painting from the Sistine Chapel of the, the two fingers? Yeah. And so God is reaching at Adam with everything he has, right? Like, whoa, like very, very muscular. God is like, you know, angel posse. Like, they're all really, really, really reaching for Adam. And Adam's like, like soft boy status, you know, sitting yeah. there all kind of like limp, looks like he kind of just woke up, you know, Looks like he's asking somebody to like pass him a juice box or some shit. And, and if you look up closely, the fingers are like this. So this is God's finger, like come here. And this is Adam's finger like this. And all Adam would have to do to touch the God that's like reaching for him with everything he has is just straighten his finger it's literally it that's all he would have to do to get all of that power and all of that might you know be zapped and changed forever as humanity we have so much power that's reaching for us at all times something that nothing else in our universe has been given like we've been given this and all you have to do is just straighten your finger that's it the least amount of effort So like, how do we metaphorically straighten our finger? We ask to see the miracle in every moment, in every situation, there is a miracle that's happening. And if you ask to see it, you will be shown. And when you are shown, you have all of that power, all of that available to you. So,
0: Fascinating. Yeah. I never really realized the symbolism in that. But that's true, right? That's true. All we have to do is just extend ourselves. And in the words of Pro- Prodigy from Mob Deep, R.I.P., I'm going to meet God halfway and extend my life.
1: Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Mommy. Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, is there any last words you want to tell people where they can find you and, and what you offer?
1: yeah definitely so like i said i initiate people into the second level of teachings my favorite way to do this because like i said i'm here for the working class like i i'm really i i believe that this should be more accessible to people specifically financially um i teach a lot of different workshops all of them are backed by the enneagram so all of them will guarantee you a result if you do the work But my favorite way to work with people is over the course of a year and I built my own app and I built my own school with a series of workshops so that I can answer your questions every single Friday and so I can check your homework every single week because it's really important with higher teachings that they're not just given but received. If you have undigested spiritual information, it's gonna turn into psychosis. So that's really like the function of a teacher is to help you bring these teachings down, 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 and not just letting them sit up in your mind. And so at my school, I have Q and A for my private students every single Friday. And I check homework every single Friday as well. You get all of my workshops together, but I'm like your guidance counselor. So basically you sign up for the year, you text me, we take stock of what you're doing. And I say, okay, this workshop is the first one you should work on. They're enrolled. I see them every Friday. And then when it's time for them to do a new workshop, you come and meet with your guidance counselor. Again, you say, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And we do the whole thing over again. Now I only let people in on an annual basis. Like I'm putting a big commitment in you and you're putting a big commitment in me. And I need somebody that's just going to prepare to put their head down and do the work for a year. But if this sounds like you, it's two grand for the year. And January 1st is a really really good time to start we all start with the money workshop together It'll really change faith without works is delulu, baby You don't want to be one of those spiritual delulu people. you want to have you want to have you know your earth? Element and you want to secure that that financial level of good householder so you can get higher teachings Um, I have all kinds of information not on my Instagram, on my YouTube. But if, if you're like, I want to work with you for a year, then please go to my website, mommyonami.com. Go to the tab that says safe house and read about what school would be for you. Because I am literally one text message away from the other (laughs) side of that. But that's like the only way that we can really work together like that. I do one-on-one, but I try to, that's 15 grand for two sessions. So take, the, take the other options. So that's, that's what I'd love to share with you guys. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you heard it. Everybody go check out her work, go learn from her. This was powerful. Thank you again, mommy. Thank you everybody. Um, uh, this has been Esoteric TV. Thank you. Namaste. Love everybody.
1: Thank you so hey, much. Thank you for fixing my house.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, just sage it with some buttermilk pancakes. You'll be all right.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Bye.